please turn in your Bibles to James chapter 5. There's also an insert here in your bulletin. Don't be too afraid. Yes, there are six points, but it won't be three times, twice as long. So, I'm glad to be back with you all. I was, had the opportunity to go to California last week and take part in the annual meeting for the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors. Got to see Pastor Aaron Suber receive his certification as a certified member of that organization. It's a group of people that love God's Word and ce- celebrate its sufficiency to help people with their problems. And so, like-minded people gather together to extol God and His Word and to learn and develop our uh, understanding of how to use God's Word more effectively in caring for souls. Well, James is caring for our soul throughout this book. We have seen his encouragement to us to bear fruit that lives out our repentance and faith. And as we've reached chapter 5, we're brought back around to a key subject that he introduced in chapter 1. It's sort of bookends to his book, and we were introduced in the very first chapter to the ideas of patience and steadfastness, two different words that are used here, and the difference helps us to get a whole picture of what James is trying to portray for us. When he uses the word patient or patience in verses 7, 8, and 10, it's a word that means self-restraint, not quick to retaliate against a wrong. It's like those cartoon bombs with a long fuse on it. That's the kind of patience that James is picturing for us in that word choice. The other word that he uses is in verse 11, it's steadfast or steadfastness. And this is a, a temper or an attitude that doesn't succumb under suffering. It's, it's the picture of Atlas under the globe, able to bear the weight and not be crushed. And that's us as we are steadfast. The first word patience more often deals with patience and dealing with difficult people self-restraint, which doesn't easily retaliate. The second word, steadfastness, generally speaks of holding up under circumstances, the enduring and persevering through hardships and suffering. So, James is addressing people who faced difficult circumstances and difficult people. You remember just earlier in the chapter, those wicked rich who were oppressing, taking away their land and persecuting them in the courts. Difficult people, difficult circumstances. That's who James is speaking to. If that's you today, that you have difficult circumstances that you're facing or difficult people that you're interacting with, listen as I read. James 5, 7 to 11. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until he receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You've heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate 
and merciful. Let's pray together. Father, as we come to this subject of patience and this portion of Your Word, we confess that it's not so much that we struggle with understanding what You command of us, but we struggle with following through with keeping that command. Lord, this area of patience is something that we universally, as human beings, struggle with, we fight against. Lord, I pray that You would give us, yes, insight by Your Spirit into Your Word, but also give us the power to cultivate patience in our lives as that fruit of the Spirit that You work in us. Thank You that that Spirit who raised Christ Jesus from the dead in all of His power is at work in each and every one of us who trust in Christ our Savior. Lord, be with us this hour in Jesus' name. Amen. You probably heard that warning, don't pray for patience, because what's going to happen? As soon as you pray for patience, the waiting begins. The trials and the suffering start to come. But I'm going to tell you, do pray for patience, because you can learn patience. In fact, life is full of what we seem, what seem like endless periods of waiting. Do you remember being, waiting to be old enough to get your learner's permit and your driver's license? The very day I turned 16, I was at the driver's license bureau getting that license, waiting to finally graduate high school and move on to something more interesting, waiting to find that perfect someone that I could spend the rest of my life with, waiting to finally get pregnant and for that baby to eventually arrive waiting for them to walk, to talk, waiting for them to be potty trained, waiting for them to move out of the house. We have all sorts of occasions for us to wait in life, waiting till you can retire, waiting till you meet the Lord face to face. It's part of life, all of our existence. But life is also full of trials and suffering for us to endure. Maybe you've been falsely accused at work. Maybe you've been written up or even fired, and the person who lied about it got promoted. Has a family member ever betrayed you or spread gossip about you to other family members? Has someone in a church that you looked up to as an example disappointed you? Have you ever had it up to here with your toddler that simply won't listen or your teenager that you've told 10 million times, clean your room, take out the garbage, finish your homework? Has someone you thought was a friend taken to social media to tear you down? Has another student at school in your group chat made life miserable for you? Have you received a life-changing diagnosis? Has someone you love been struggling a long time with an undiagnosed illness, with cancer, or with dementia? Do you feel that financial pressures and constant setbacks will never let up? Is your heart breaking over a wayward child or unbelieving family member that's life is spinning out of control? We all have occasions to experience suffering. If you haven't experienced deep suffering, you will. If you haven't had to wait like for anything in your life, that something's wrong. You will have to wait. In this passage, James makes it clear, we're not called to just grin and bear it, not just called to trudge along, not just 
plaster on a smiling face and get by. No, God's Word is abundantly clear that everyone who has believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who is indwelled by the Holy Spirit, that Spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead, that Spirit is working in you to will and to do His good pleasure. And He's bearing the fruits of the Spirit in our lives. That fourth fruit in Paul's list of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5 seems to be one of the most difficult for us to really learn, to grow in. But I want you to see yourself as a farmer working together with the Holy Spirit to cultivate this fruit in your life. You can learn patience. Since God glorifying patience is a fruit of the Spirit, we must actively cultivate it in our lives. Six ways here that I want to draw from the book of James how God has enabled you has allowed you to take part and cooperate with the Holy Spirit in this process of growing fruit, of cultivating that fruit in our lives. Let's look first at the God-glorifying patience requires a change of heart and not a change of circumstances. Verse 7, be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until he receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. The focus here is not on a change of circumstances. James wants us to have our hearts changed. And this first point is probably most contrary to the lies that our flesh tells us, that the world tells us, that the devil tells us, I deserve this, I need this, I want this. It should be your way right away. Or in our desperation we cry, stop, no more, I've had enough, I can't take it anymore, I can't bear it, how long, O oh Lord? To these longings, to these urges, even to some of the lies, the truth that God whispers to us is be patient. Establish your hearts. I'm coming soon. It's not your circumstances I desire to change. It's your heart I want you to change. I've left my Holy Spirit, your advocate, your comforter, the truth teller. He's the one who makes clear what Scripture says and then gives you the power to live it out. God could change any of your circumstances at any time. He could end the wait in just a moment, in the blink of an eye. He could take that suffering out in a second. But for His purposes and for His ends, He calls us to wait patiently so that He could target our hearts and He can work on our hearts and not just relieve our circumstances I love Psalm 27, 14. Wait for the Lord, be strong. Let your hearts take courage and wait for the Lord. Waiting is not a passive thing. Waiting is an active and purposeful dependence on the Lord. Our waiting is directed to the Lord, looking for the coming of the Lord. Be strong, let your heart take courage. Isaiah 40, 31, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. When we wait upon the Lord, strength comes. It's a muscle 
that you have to exercise to build and to grow, and that patience comes over time. 2 Thessalonians 3.3, the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. That establishing is the same word that's used in verse 8. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord. Make strong, make resolved before the Lord and His coming. Secondly, God-glorifying patience transforms our attitude towards others. James knows the tendency that we all have in verse 9. When things aren't going our way, when things are tough, we take it out on the people around us, don't we? If we're honest, when we're not happy, no one else is happy. You fill in the blank for how your household works. God-glorifying patience transforms our attitude. Verse 9, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Do you notice how often he says brothers, verse 7, brothers, verse 9, twice, and verse 10? He's talking about the family of God, and he's talking about in our close relationships, those who are closest to us tend to be the target of our grumbling when we're not getting our way, when we are impatient, when we're not remaining fast. And this is an important thing to God, as James points out, this tends to provoke grumbling to one another, grumbling about one another. All of this disintegrates our brotherhood, our family connection. And that's why God's serious about judging the grumbling. He doesn't want that. This word grumble here means to sigh or to groan inwardly or outwardly because of your circumstances or oppression. And look, those are real things that are going on, and they're very hard. Hardships are real. But grumbling about and to one another about it doesn't make it any better. In fact, it makes it worse. Philippians 2 says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world." You will shine as a light in a dark world when you put off grumbling and you put on gratitude. Uh, our culture is just full of complainers, right? We learn it early as children. Children complain about what they have to eat, what they have to wear, when they have to go to bed, right? And as adults, we get rid of all that, right? We don't complain or listen to talk radio and hear all the complaining about our government and the politicians and complaining is just second nature to us. But as children of God, we stand out as bright lights. The opposite of that grumbling is going to be patient endurance that flows out in gratitude. So don't let the easy path be the one that you follow just to be a grumbler. There are frustrations, disappointments, but lift those to the Lord and talk to Him about them, not to everyone else. I love when people realize that they can encourage, they can commend other people. I love to walk into a conversation where I kind of overhear somebody speaking well of another, what somebody did for them that blessed them. If our conversation had more of that encouragement and gratitude, the grumbling would just melt away. 
Express your gratitude actively searching for ways in which you can verbalize that gratitude to someone and then talk about somebody behind their back with words of gratitude and thankfulness, encouragement. Thirdly, God-glorifying patience is learned by example. Most things in life are caught rather than taught. And James gives us some examples to follow. Three examples in particular. Verse 7 is the farmer. And verse 10 is the prophets. And finally, Job. What do we learn from the farmer? In verse 7, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until he receives the early and the late rains. First point I look at is he's patient until the earth receives the early and late rains. The patient farmer recognizes what he can control and what he can't. You can't control the rain. Every farmer knows that he can't control the rain. Now we try and irrigate, we try and overcome some of those tendencies, but at the end of the day, unless the Lord sends the rain, we won't grow a crop. Galatians 6, 9 says, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. It's that farmer who's steadfast. And you know, uh, as I was researching what the rains early and the late rains meant in the ancient Near East. In their climate, the fall rains generally arrive around uh, October or early November, and it's usually a series of thunderstorms. And they're anxiously awaited by farmers since they're necessary to soften the hard-baked soil for plowing and then sowing. A serious delay of these rains diminishes the prospects for a crop. If they fail entirely, a crop failure results. The bulk of the rains come during December through February. The latter, or the spring rains, fall during April or May. These late rains, accompanied by warmer temperatures than in the winter, are important for the maturing of the crops. The longer they continue, the greater the potential yield. And what does the farmer do to make those things happen? Nothing. He has to wait on the Lord. And he's waiting for something that's very precious to him. You see the first part? He waits for the precious fruit of the earth. He wants to yield that. He wants to gather in that harvest. It's his livelihood. He depends on it. And those things that we depend on, that we need in our lives, sometimes we overblow those. Sometimes we think things are needs when they're only really wants or desires. But those things that we truly need, God, your Heavenly Father, gives us to you. He's the one that in His time and in His way provides the fruit of the earth. Secondly, in verse 10, the example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. What, what do we learn from the prophets? The prophets had a calling to speak the word and stick with it. And despite persecution, suffering, people writing them off, they stuck with the word. It's like Peter when Jesus asked, will you go away too with all these people that were deserting him? And he said, no, only you have the words of life. The, the prophets had the word from God, 
And so they endured in the preaching and the speaking and the living of it against much hostility. And Jesus promises for us and for them, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. And you think, yeah, Jesus, I feel really blessed when that happens, right? But eternally, spiritually, and really, we are blessed. He says, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I don't want you to be confused. The prophets weren't stoic sufferers. They were actively crying out to the Lord, crying out to them in their sorrow, in their laments. The prophets are full of these men crying out to God in great distress. Stoic suffering isn't what we are called to. They had a deep grief and lamented to God about their sorrow, and we should too. There are more psalms of lament than any other variety in the book of Psalms. Read them. Make them your own. Write out your own laments to God. The prophets did, and they were able to remain steadfast. Thirdly, the steadfastness of Job. It's almost like he mentions that in passing. Oh, you've heard about that. This guy suffered ultimate suffering. He lost his children, he lost his wealth, he lost his health, all the while his wife is telling him, just curse God and die. Then he has these counselors that come. The best thing that they do is they keep their mouth shut for seven days, but then they open their mouths, and it's so hard to hear. You're suffering, and you got people coming in and telling you all sorts of advice. You got to do this. You ought to do that. This is what you need. And Job suffered in the midst of that. Job 1 says he arose, he tore his robe, he shaved his head, he fell on the ground, and he worshiped. And he said, naked I came in from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Job wasn't perfect, though. Job struggled. Job was trying to grasp what was God doing, but in the midst of it, he knew some truths. Job 19.25, he says, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand upon the earth. He was looking forward to a Redeemer. Job 23.10, But he knows the way that I take. When he has tried me, I shall come out as gold. He sees this trial as a perfecting, refining fire that will bring forth precious gold. Towards the end, Job 42.1, Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. God's purpose is important. I came across someone who listed five lessons from the life of Job. They said suffering is not always punishment. That's true. Suffering can be calmly accepted, that God wants us to express our grief in prayer, that friends and family may fail you, but God uses suffering to teach us, to train us, to grow us. Next, let's look at glorifying God 
God-glorifying patience finds comfort in the coming judge. You see how many times he repeats in verse 7, until the coming of the Lord. In verse 8, for the coming of the Lord, the coming of this judge who's standing at the door. The coming of Jesus is what should bring us steadfast patience. It should encourage us in the midst of trials and suffering. In this word, parousia means return. It refers more to, than to just coming. It includes the idea of presence. Perhaps the best English translation would be arrival. The church's great hope is the arrival of Jesus Christ when He comes to bless His people with His presence. When the judge comes, He'll not only bring justice to the wicked who have persecuted His prophets, persecuted us, but He will come for His children to comfort them with the blessing of His presence. I don't know if you've read how the book ends lately. Jesus wins, and it is wonderful. Revelation 21, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He'll dwell with them. They will be His people, and God Himself will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. There'll be no more mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. I saw no temple in the city, for the temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. And the city had no need for a sun or moon to shine out, for the glory of God gives it its life. No longer will there be anything cursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. There's no need for a light or lamp of sun. The Lord will be their light, and they will reign forever. The angel said to him, these words are trustworthy and true, and the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent His angel to show the servants what might what might soon take place. Behold, I'm coming soon. Behold, I'm coming soon, bringing my recompense with me. The Spirit and the bride say, come. And the one who hears says, come. And the one who is thirsty, come. Let the, let the one who desires take from the water of life without price. And he who testifies these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. In the midst of difficulties, you can look to the coming of Jesus, to your king, to the judge who will set all things right, bring justice to those who didn't get justice in this life, and then bring his reward, his recompense for his children. God's God-glorifying patient really takes hope in the Lord's purpose. Verse 11, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord. This purpose, telos in the Greek, is the end, the ultimate result, the completion, the consummation. It's this idea of various stages that are reached to get to full development. You think of the old pirate's telescope that you stretch it out, and once it's fully extended, you can use it for its purpose. God brings you through step by step by step to His end goal, His end purpose, that we might 
glorify Him. Circling back to James 1, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. God has a plan, and it involves suffering. It involves being misunderstood. It involves trials, but He uses those trials for a purpose, and the waiting is not just waiting for what you will get and what will happen, but that waiting is transforming you in your heart. I love how Paul Tripp says it in his book, Broken Down House. It's, it's a, a book about how we live in a world and in bodies in a life that isn't as it was intended to be. It's like a house that's now decaying and wearing down and broken down. And he has a chapter on waiting. And this is one thing he says. He says, wait, but waiting on God isn't like this at all. Waiting on God isn't about the suspension of meaning and purpose. It's part of the meaning and purpose that God has brought into my life. Waiting on God isn't to be viewed as an obstruction in the way of the plan. Waiting is an essential part of the plan. For the child of God, waiting isn't simply about what I'll receive at the end of my wait. No, waiting is much more purposeful, efficient, and practical than that. Waiting is fundamentally about what I'll become as I wait. God's using the wait to do in and through me exactly what He's promised. Through the wait, He's changing me. By means of the wait, He's altering the fabric of my thoughts and my desires. Through the wait, He's causing me to see and experience new things about Him and His kingdom. And all of this sharpens me, enabling me to be more useful tool in His redemptive hands. Without the weight, these things just won't be worked into our lives. It takes that time. And it seems to be kind of tacked on the end here, but we see that God's glorifying, God glorifying patience rests in the, the Lord's character. Do you see that at the ver- end of verse 11? You have seen the pers- pers- purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Why did James just tack those on? Are they just add-ons? No, I believe that understanding his character is the only way that you'll be able to interpret waiting, interpret his activity. We understand God's purpose first by understanding his character. We must always interpret what God does by who he is. God's character is sure and true. He is compassionate. He is merciful. So what He does is, by definition, compassionate and merciful, even when it doesn't feel that way, even when we don't understand it, because His ways are higher than our ways. But He has declared to us, He has told us, He has defined, this is my character. I am compassionate. I am merciful. Thomas Manton says the the one word has to do with our miseries, the other with our sins. Compassion is for our miseries. Mercy is for our sins. Have you experienced the pardoning of your sins fully? Have you seen His compassion personally? You must repent of your sin and believe on Christ, trusting that He has paid for your sins on the cross. Believe that now that He loves and cherishes you as His beloved child. 
What an amazing God we have. He's so kind. He's so caring. He's compassionate and loving. He's so forgiving. He's gracious. He's merciful. Have you thanked Him for who He is? How He is acting in your life? What He is making you wait for is part of a realization of who He is and what His character is. And as we see Him for who He truly is, we can have a lens to answer the lies that come before us. When we sing, great is Thy faithfulness, O God my Father, we know He is faithful, and when we see evidences in His actions of His faithfulness, it encourages us, and we can wait with patience. We can endure steadfastly. We can carry on because of who He is. My prayer today is that you'll learn to cultivate this beautiful fruit of patience, this fruit of the Holy Spirit in your lives more intentionally, more purposefully. You can learn patience, real God-glorifying patience as you pursue a change of heart and not just a change of your circumstances. You'll see how it transforms your attitude towards others. And as you dig into your Bible and you learn more examples of steadfastness and patience, you'll find comfort in the coming of the judge. The return of Jesus becomes more precious to you. Remember and hope in the Lord's purpose and know confidently the Lord's character. He's compassionate. He is merciful. Let's pray. Lord, we need a fresh set of eyes to see You for who You truly are. And Lord, our lives are so full of distractions and deceptions that would make us to consider You as a God who has forgotten us, who has left us to suffer. But Lord, we know because You have declared so that You are faithful, that Your faithfulness is great, that You are compassionate, that You are merciful. And Lord, help us to revel in that and to rejoice in it as we wait patiently for you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.